And so we come here to chapter 1 and verse 19. And I want you to remember what I told you that, that the first 18 verses are really uh, what is referred to by theologians, commentators as the prologue in John's gospel. And as we've already seen, it's the setting forth of who Christ is. But now, starting in verse 19, we're going to come to this historical uh, narrative section of the book. And as we went through those first 18 verses, you know well that that was one of the deepest, most profound sections in all of the Bible As together again, we learned in those verses who Jesus truly is. He's the God-man. He's the Word. He's the life. He's the light, as John put forth. He's the creator of all things. All things have been made by Him and for Him. And apart from Him, nothing has been made that has been made. And the Apostle John just could not have been any clearer in laying such an unparalleled foundation upon which the rest of this gospel is built. Now, I need you to know that John also has a clear and singular purpose in writing this gospel. Yes, he is presenting Christ. Yes, he is. But beyond that, His theme and His purpose is articulated, look with me, in John chapter 20 and verse 31 where He says this, But these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So, His purpose is giving you evidence so that you might believe, and it's evangelistic, so that believing, you might be saved and have eternal life. So everything John says in his gospel, is geared at believing that Jesus is the promised Christ, His deity and His humanity, and His being the only Lord and Savior. Those are John's focus. And that's why John, if you notice, and I'm sure you've all read through the gospel of John before, he, he doesn't really spend a lot of time on historical background. He's not so much about the narrative story of Jesus as is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are called, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels because together they tell the same story. John is more concerned to tell us only what pertains to his proof that Jesus is the Christ and that believing in his name is the only way to eternal life. In fact, John's first line of testimony here in verse 19 
is from another John. John the Baptist. Who he's already introduced, you remember, back in verse 15. Look at verse 19 with me. Look how it starts out. This is the testimony of John. We could call this section the first testimony to Jesus. And I want to start by reading uh, this record that comes from John the Apostle about John the Baptist. And it occurs in verses 19 through 37. So let's read that together, beginning in verse 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Then they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them saying, I baptize in water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Now, we're going to take two sermons to cover those verses. Now, if you want to get the whole historical background, let me encourage you to go to Luke chapter 1 and read that this week. And his story virtually takes up the the whole chapter 
all the way to verse 80. It's very important to understand that. It's a very rich section of Scripture. But it really, it doesn't interest John the Apostle here. John's interest is not history. His interest is not evidence. John's interest is testimony. John's interest is witness to the deity of Christ. Remember that word deity means godhood. The godhood of Christ. So to John, it really doesn't matter where he lived. It doesn't matter what he wore. John doesn't care about the camel hair coat. Notice. He doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to him that, that, that he ate locust and, and honey. It really doesn't matter about the history of this remarkable man that you remember we saw how and why Jesus said he was the greatest man who ever lived up until that point. What matters to John is what he said. For about 30 years of his life, he didn't say anything publicly. John the Baptist was born just six months before Jesus. And isn't it interesting that the same 30 years or so, and the scholars, you know, the years, we can't be exact on those years. We can get very, very close, but we can't get exact. But 30 years or so, that John was waiting in the world to begin his ministry at the same time, in that time frame, Jesus was waiting to begin his ministry. So as we open up here in verse 19, we're all the way down deep into the, the life of G- John at around 30 years old and, and Jesus at around 30 And it's so incredible. At this point, people from Jerusalem, people from all around the land of Judea and all in the surrounding areas were coming out to hear John the Baptist preach. Great numbers of people. He was a remarkable, powerful, unique and very effective preacher. At the end of John chapter 5 and verse 35, look what it says. We read of the people, it was said this, you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. He was a very popular preacher. Not only because of the power of the preaching, but because of what he was saying, he was constantly saying in his preaching, Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. And that was the message that the people of Israel had been longing to hear. They were weary of the centuries that had gone by full of reminiscing about biblical prophecies about Messiah that year after year had never come to pass. 
They were weary of the occupying forces that had come into their land who as Gentiles, from their perspective, had desecrated their land. They were weary of the hand of the Romans being upon their nation in total control. And so John then was very popular because the people wanted this message that he was giving about the coming of the Messiah. And really, if you think about it, that's what took the edge off of his message of repentance because the repentance that he was preaching was directly connected to the coming of the Messiah. And so he was preaching repentance, no doubt. And the people were coming and saying, okay, yes, we repent. And then he would say to them, if you truly want to repent and be cleansed by God on the inside, then demonstrate that in a public act of baptism. No different than today, right? The baptism of John also was an external symbol of that desire for an eternal cleansing. Not the same as our baptism, but the structure was the same. And so John had really an amazing impact on throngs of people. So he is the first. The first really formidable testifier to the deity of Christ. And John the Baptist is an absolutely unique figure in the pages of Scripture. And you have to understand at this point, there hadn't been a prophet in Israel for over 400 years. And unquestionably, this was a true prophet. And think about the fact that as he's preaching, he's, he's saying what they all want to hear. Messiah is coming. And he's telling them, you need to repent. You need to get your life ready for the arrival of Messiah. Now in this passage before us, there are, there are three things that I want you to see and we're going to look at these things from kind of like a bird's eye view above it and just looking down over these verses that we're going to see today. The first thing we see here is the character of a faithful preacher. John's character is revealed in this text. Now, John has already been referred to, as we've seen in our study so far, back in verses 6, 7, and 8, and in verse 15, And let's look real quick back at verse 15 before we get to 19. Remember in 15, John the Baptist testifying about Jesus said, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Remember how important we said that statement is? John is making it clear that he existed before me even though he was born six months after me. That is just, again, such a straightforward affirmation to the eternality of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. But notice also how he says, he has a higher rank than I. 
Now that phrase speaks to the character of John the Baptist. Put yourself for a minute in John's shoes. At this particular time, again, there had been no prophet in 400 years. And even the final prophets in the Old Testament were were nowhere close to being as popular as John the Baptist. At this point in time, in the minds of the Jewish people that were coming out to hear him preach, they were so impacted by his preaching. In their minds, John had been elevated above the priest, above the Sadducees, above the Pharisees. But John doesn't see it that way. Even though at this particular point in time, John the Baptist is the man in Israel. He is the popular preacher that all of Judea is coming out to the wilderness to hear preach. And yet notice he says again, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I. And if you look down in verse 27, he says, it is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now, let me tell you, from the Jewish first century perspective, what that phrase means. That that was the job of the lowest slave. To take the sandals off and wash the feet of the master. So John is saying with that phrase, I'm so low here. I'm lower than the lowest slave. And then down in verse 30, he says the same thing that he said in verse 15. This is he on behalf of whom I said after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. So, what is the character of this faithful preacher? Well, it's one word above everything else. Humility. True humility. John the Baptist sought no honors. He didn't seek fame. He sought no money, no accolades, no title. He has no title. He didn't want flattering words from anyone. He didn't even actually seek disciples because in verse 35, he's standing there with two of the disciples and look in verse 36. It says, and... He looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And what he was saying to them is this. Why in the world are you standing here with me? Go follow him. And in verse 37 it says, The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. John the Baptist didn't want anything. He didn't even want followers or disciples. He didn't want honors. He didn't want titles. In verse 23, we found out, we find out what he wanted to do and only what he wanted to do. Look in verse 23. I am a voice. And he's quoting scripture there. I am a voice and that is all that I am. A voice 
crying in the wilderness. And it wasn't just a physical geographical wilderness. It was also a spiritual wilderness filled with barren hearts, just like this country. The Bible says there's a famine in the land. Not for food, not for water, but for the hearing of the word of the Lord. That's where we are. And John, in the same type of situation, steps up and says, I'm just a voice. And folks, that is the proper view that all preachers of the Word of God should have about themselves. I'm just a voice. I direct everything to the one who is greater than myself. Everything. Sadly in our day, and for many days prior to these days, many men, many men have served in the ministry for much more than being just a voice. And I pray that that's all that I ever am as a preacher. Just a voice of truth proclamation pointing to the one who is infinitely greater than I am. Now the second thing we're going to see here is the character of a faithless people. We're going to meet here in this opening section the people who first rejected Jesus. Look in verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent him to priests and Levites from Jerusalem. Now remember, Jerusalem is the Jewish religious capital. At the time, the Sanhedrin ran the entire Jewish religious system. Remember, the Sanhedrin was that that Jewish council of 70 elders plus the high priest. These men called all the shots in Judaism. Notice that term, the Jews, in verse 19. That is a term you will see. 70 times in the Gospel of John, and it's never used ethnically. It is always used in one sense. To identify the enemies of Jesus. That's not an anti-Semitic statement. That's the truth. It's John's choice term. You don't find that term in any other Gospels. It's the term that John uses for the religious establishment. It's the term that he uses to, to identify the religious elite from the high priest all the way down to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the other priests, the Jews. All of those in leadership who hated Jesus are identified 70 times in this gospel as the Jews and ultimately were responsible for handing him over to the Romans to be executed. So we meet here right away at the start of the narrative account in the gospel of John, the faithless people. And we will encounter them a lot in our study of this gospel. There's a third group that I want you to see. 
and that's the faithful people. We get a glimpse of them in verse 37 that we looked at earlier, the two disciples that heard what John had said and they followed Jesus. So we're going to encounter both groups, the faithless and the faithful. And that's going to be the story. Now, in particular here in verses 19 to 37, it unfolds over three consecutive days. And that's very rare in the New Testament to find something clearly identified in a period of sequential days. In fact, the only thing that comes close would be the Passion Week and the, the final days of Jesus' life. Now, here at this point in verse 19, John has been preaching, but we don't exactly know for how long. The Bible doesn't tell us. And he will go on preaching for a while after this, but we don't know exactly for how long with that either. But here, here on this day, day one of the three days, we're going we're gonna to catch him at a high point. Because on day two, the Son of God walks up to where John is preaching. And John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, before we move on, I just want to I want to set the scene for you here of what how all this works out. Again, differing opinions, but somewhere around the, the last part of A.D. 26, maybe the beginning of 27, when all of this starts to go into motion, John receives word from the Lord out in the wilderness to preach. We learned that in Matthew 3. And then he launches his ministry in the wilderness. And about the same time that he launches his ministry in the wilderness... Jesus leaves his hometown of Nazareth and starts walking John the Baptist's way. He's been there in Nazareth approximately 30 some odd years, most likely working in the family carpenter shop. He hasn't done any public ministry, although probably some personal ministry. And if God wanted you to know about that, he would have put it in the Bible. So don't read any of them other stupid, ignorant books that tell you when Jesus was a kid, he brought a bird to life. Don't even look at them dumb books. But now Jesus leaves Nazareth and he goes down to the Jordan Valley and he's going to be baptized by John for one single purpose. In order to fulfill all righteousness. In other words... Jesus, our substitute in his life, perfect sinless life, was doing everything that God required of every person. That's what that means. And he headed to a place that's identified to us in verse 28. Notice which says these things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan. Now, we don't know exactly where that is. There was Bethany by Jerusalem. That was another Bethany, and it's still there to this day. You can travel there. It's two miles east of Jerusalem, but that's not this Bethany beyond the Jordan. It was somewhere out there across the Jordan, out there in the wilderness. And that's where John the Baptist is. And it needed to have one thing for sure where he was. Water. 
Because as John MacArthur says, he's not John the Presbyterian. He's John the Baptist. John put him down, held him down. And then he pulled him out the water. Now here in our text, John is actually what's happening. He's remembering the baptisms of verses 32 and 33. So, so at this point, it's already happened. And this is where Jesus is launched into ministry. And, and John, again, he's preaching repentance. Get ready for Messiah. And Jesus comes. And at first, when he walks up, John the Baptist doesn't recognize him. Look in verse 31. I did not recognize him. And Jesus shows up and says, you need to baptize me. And you remember, when he does recognize Jesus, John doesn't want to baptize him. He says, you need to baptize me. You know the story. And Jesus says, no, John. You have to baptize me so that I can fulfill all righteousness. That's part of the imputed righteousness that's imputed to us when we come by faith alone to Jesus Christ. And so as John does, the Bible says, and the Spirit comes down as a dove. Now I got news for you. That doesn't mean a literal dove came down. Get over that. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. Never was a dove. He came down the way doves come down and land. He could have been a blue jay for that matter. He could have been a pigeon. Anything that comes down and lands. And I'm sure I'll give some people hives by saying that, but it's true. For all we know, the Holy Spirit may have been manifested in light. He may have been manifested in fire. We don't know. Why do we not know? Because the Bible doesn't say. And when the Bible doesn't say, all you can do is speculate. And so Jesus is baptized and he is, he leaves the area. And as you know, he's led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. So that's the picture here. That's the overall scene here. Now let's go to verse 19. Verse 19 starts out. This is the testimony of John or again, that occurred during that three day period. So right now we're on day one. Okay. Verse 19, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now again, the Jews here are clearly the hostile religious establishment, the enemies of the truth. They are enemies of John and they will be soon the enemies of Jesus. So they get together this delegation of priests and Levites. These priests here, these are not the, there's only one high priest. These are just common people. There were thousands of these guys. 
They were religious, but they were, they were common. They were not scribes. They were not Pharisees. They were not Sadducees. And then the Levites. They did the kind of the menial work to support the priest. And here it was like the, the, the priests were going to be in this de- delegation, the questioners, and the, the Levites were like the security guards, the protectors. The, the Levites actually uh, worked to keep the peace in the temple for the crowd control. That was one of their jobs. So here these two groups come. And notice in verse 24 in particular. It says, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And as you know, that was the group that came to be the absolute avowed enemies of Jesus who drove everything in the direction of hatred and animosity toward him. And so this delegation of priests and Levites, they go down to the river Jordan to see John. In verse 19, they say, who are you? And the implication is, are you the Messiah? And really, it's kind of a respectful way to ask the question because they want to know, is this man the Messiah? Or does this man just think he's the Messiah? Now, remember, they absolutely were in a state of expectation because John has been preaching again, Messiah is here. So this is naturally on everybody's mind and they're wondering, is this the guy? And they had to find out. They had to find out. It it, it done reached code red. Why? Because masses of humanity were pouring out of the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas to go hear John preach. So at this point, he had reached a higher level of religious clout than any of the leaders in Jerusalem. And look how verse 20 starts out. And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. Now, in the Greek, that's very strong. It actually means he was outraged. That's what it means. He was livid at this question. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. Now, by the way, we kind of alluded to it earlier in Sunday school. They weren't looking for a Savior. You have to understand that. They weren't looking for a lamb or a sacrifice who takes away the wrath of God. They were looking for a conquering king who would come down and wipe the Romans out and put them to a place of prominence. And also, they thought they were okay, religiously speaking. So next in verse 21, it says they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? Now, why would they ask a question like that? Elijah been gone for a long time. But they asked this because the final prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi, said, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so, depending on your eschatology, at least if you're pre-mill, the great and terrible day of the Lord is referring to the time of the second coming of Christ. And I think the great and terrible day of the Lord is the time of the second coming. 
And Malachi is saying, prior to that, Elijah will come. Now, you got to understand, these Jews all understood this. They knew the scripture. From their perspective, before the arrival of Messiah, Elijah is going to come. That was their thinking. So John answers the question next in verse 21. Look at it. He says, I am not. And he said that because he wasn't. He was John the Baptist. He was not recycled Elijah. He was not reincarnated Elijah. But, and here's what you have to understand. The angel said he will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. With that kind of prophetic power and effect. So understand it this way. There are two comings of Christ. I believe only two. In the first coming of Jesus, as we're looking at here, he is preceded by one in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and that's John the Baptist. In the second coming, you can let your eschatological view determine what you do with Elijah in the end times. We can talk about that at lunch if you want to. And then next in verse 21, they ask John, are you the prophet? Now, who is this? Well, here they are talking about a specific Old Testament prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. Look at it with me. It says this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your countrymen. You shall listen to him. And then a few verses later in verse 18, it says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And so when it says, I will raise up a prophet like you, that's Moses. And it's promising here the coming of a great future prophet like Moses and the Jews throughout their history had seen that in those verses as a prophecy of the coming of Messiah. That's how they interpreted that. So these Jews asked John if he's the Christ. And then they asked based on Malachi 4, 5, are you Elijah? And then based on Deuteronomy 18, they asked him, are you that prophet? And by the way, if you want to know who that prophet refers to in the New Testament, look at Acts 3, 22 up on the screen. That is Peter preaching. And he's quoting there from Deuteronomy 18 and he clearly identifies that prophet not as John the Baptist, but as Jesus. And then Stephen does the same thing. Look up there at Acts 7, 37, leaving no doubt as to who Moses was talking about. So the New Testament confirms and interprets the old to make sure we're clear. So they asked John, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? That prophet? And to all three questions, he gives a very emphatic no. And they go on, verse 22. Then they said to him, 
Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And in verse 23, John the Baptist responds, as we already saw, he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And again, John says, I'm just a voice. That's all I am. This is the essence of real greatness, true humility. He doesn't say, I'm the son of Zacharias, the esteemed priest. He doesn't say, I'm the greatest man who ever lived, by the way, up until this point. He doesn't say, I'm a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit while I was still in my mother's womb. He doesn't say any of that. He just says, I'm a voice. But he does make clear that he is a voice who is unique. Because he says, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said, I am a voice fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy perfectly that is found in Isaiah chapter 40 and verses 3 through 5. In that text, Isaiah prophesied that before the Messiah would come, he would be preceded by a voice crying in the wilderness. Look at those verses with me. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's a prophecy of John the Baptist. And John is saying, I'm that voice. The language in that prophecy refers symbolically to the low places being the, the base things in life that need to be brought up. The high things in that scripture are the elevated, self-righteous, prideful, hypocritical things that need to be brought low. The crooked things are the deviant things in that passage that need to be straightened out. The clutter of life that needs to be cleared off so that the road is clear. This is all part of John's message of repentance. And by the way, again, think about this. At the very moment that John is answering these questions on day one, at that very moment, Jesus is walking from Nazareth down to the Jordan while John the Baptist is being questioned. And he would arrive the next day on day two. John is telling these Jews and all the people, Messiah is coming. So you need to deal with your heart and make the path for him straight in your heart. Verse 24, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Verse 25, they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? In other words, what are you doing out here? Who are you? 
And the answer to that will have to come next time we come to this text. We're still on day one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. This tremendous prophet of God that Jesus proclaimed was the greatest man who ever lived, not because he was such a, a great man in and of himself, but he had the greatest role ever given to be the voice in the wilderness claiming repent and make straight the path for the coming of the true Messiah. How we thank you today for how the Holy Spirit so tremendously inspired the Apostle John to write down this account for all of the Christians in all of church history to read and to learn from. We praise you today for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your day. And we pray as always that from this place, you have received maximum glory today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.